0: Welcome to episode number 15, where today we are talking about learned optimism. We're talking about how to cultivate optimism in our lives and what that can actually bring into our lives. Enjoy. G'day folks, welcome to the Crashing In Potential podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about resilience. That is getting back up after you have been knocked down. My name is Scott B. Harris, and I'm the author of the book Crashing into Potential Living with My Injured Brain. It's a memoir that I have written and published that outlines my story of resilience after a major motorbike accident that nearly took my life. This podcast is designed to take what's inside of me and bring it out so that you can feel motivated to crash. Into your own potential. Brace yourself because the podcast is about to start. Welcome back, you good-looking rooster. You. Today we're talking about optimism, and today I'm going to start off. I'm going to start off with a joke. Now don't don't laugh too hard, but we'll see how we go. What's the difference between an optimist and a pessimist? The optimist invented the aeroplane and the pessimist invented the seatbelt. <laughs> of course they did. Uh, so today we're talking about optimism uh, and I'm going to be uh, talking about a book. Uh, it's called Learned Optimism. I won't tell you m- more about that because we're, we're going to talk about that in the in the podcast today. I'm really excited about this because this is one of the reasons that I uh, I'm so passionate about achieving things, and that's that's because of the the optimism. And it kind of I wouldn't say it, it didn't it my my optimism didn't start when I read this book, but it definitely went up a gear when I read this book and when I when I knew what optim, optimism could bring to me in my life and in my recovery. So I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into that. Before we get into it, I just want to show my gratitude for you taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say. You see, time is the most precious resource that we can never get back. So I really appreciate you spending your most valuable asset listening to me and what I have to say. I'm going to start off by talking about learned helplessness and later on I will show the connection there. So what is learned helplessness? Learned helplessness is a state that occurs in both humans and animals when they have endured failure or pain or or something bad in the past. And they will expect that same failure, that same pain, that same something bad that's happened in the future. In today's podcast, I'm going to be making reference to a book called Learned Optimism. And that was written by Martin Seligman. I mentioned Martin Seligman on the last week of the week before. And he's known as the father of positive psychology. So today I'm going to be talking to you guys about learned helplessness and how to overcome it. And later on you'll you'll see the link between learned helplessness and learned optimism. A great quote in this book reads like this: one of the most significant findings in psychology in the last 20 years is that individuals can choose the way they think. Now, this quote is 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 good because It's always been believed for a long time that we are conditioned by the lives that we live from an early age. And that's it. The things that we are taught in our lives and the genetics that we have has taught us to be a certain way. And that's who we are. So we are uh, preconditioned from a, an early age to become the person that we are. So in this book, Martin flips this uh, this this idea on his head, and he says, "Ah, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait on. Uh, I've got another idea here. Listen to this. You might laugh, you might laugh at me, but listen to this. I think that we can actually choose to think." in a certain way i know it sounds stupid i know it sounds stupid but that's what i believe and the psychology industry there's the psychology circles i guess uh the, the 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 psychology community that's the word i'm thinking of the psychology community basically laughed at him um and and told him that he's is it he was ridiculous and that he was wrong and we couldn't control how our brain works. Now, Martin didn't believe that. He thought that the way we thought was actually independent of the, the person that we are. So I guess then that, that was the, the, the point that he, that he began to prove everyone wrong. Uh, back in 1964, this was how he came across this theory. In 1964, Martin was a 21-year-old... He was a young buck he was in graduate school and he came across uh, this theory of learned helplessness this was discovered by accident when he when he walked in on on an experiment that was being done on pairing so what i mean by that is they were trying to pair a sound with uh, something happening and the way they did that was by giving a shock to a dog Back, I think, back in the sixties, um, animal cruelty was, uh, I guess, um, it was running hot in the scientific community. You know, I think that, and we we don't generally think about this, but a lot of the the medical science that has been done in the past and the things that have been cured in. The past in the in the medical community and scientific community has been done on animals quite a bit so animals are the reason why we have a lot of the cures for things so animal cruelty although it is although it is uh, cruelty it is actually for the the good of mankind but back in the 1960s i guess it wasn't as uh, there were probably no laws that outlawed it back then. And that is just what they did. Now, just because I'm doing a podcast on it does not mean I agree with it. I actually don't agree with it. I know that there are many better ways to do tests these days, like giving shocks to humans. That's a better test. <laughs> Giving shocks to humans that refuse to wear masks because it is their human right. <laughs> it is their human right to breathe fresh air. And if anybody else dies from the disease that comes out of my mouth, that's their fault. <laughs> okay, that's enough about the, uh, the, 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 the anti-mask bandits of this world just have it been known that I think giving the shocks to anyone or anything is not on now I guess they just study the behavior of people and don't do it as much on animals I guess they' you know there's always lab rats and and other animals I don't know I'm not a scientist and I haven't ever done any 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 scientific studies involving any any animals um, so I'm not sure exactly what animals are still used Um but there are definitely ways to do studies without harming any animals what they did in this experiment uh, was that they would play a sound uh, and then they would immediately give a dog a shock they did this for weeks on end so the dog could associate the sound with the shock so when it heard the sound it knew that a shock was coming then they took the dogs and put them in another environment. Now they put them in a box called a shuttle box, and I don't exactly know what a shuttle box is. I know what one is, but I had to look it up. Uh, that's not that's not relevant. But this 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 uh, box had two compartments in it. And in between two compartments, there was a small wall that the dog could jump over. so this was the second part of the of the experiment. Their theory was that if the dog would react to the same uh, react to the, the, the same way to the sound as it did to the shock, then that would show that emotional learning could transfer across different situations. Now, I don't understand how this would happen. I guess if you read through the experiment um, and you would see what they were trying to do, uh, maybe you'd get a better idea. But it is completely irrelevant. That was just what they were trying to prove. So, to start the second part of the experiment, what they they had to do is they had to teach the dog that it could jump over the fence. So, eventually, when the dog heard the sound... It would quickly jump over the fence to escape it. So the way in which they did this was, they put the dog in in one half of the compartment, gave it a shock, and it was meant to jump over the fence to escape the shock. It was meant to jump over the fence to escape the shock. But what happened was, actually, these dogs just sat down in the corner and started crying. They had succumbed to the fact that they were getting shocked and there was nothing they could do about it. They had learned how to be helpless. And that is where the learned helplessness journey began for Martin. Over the next decade, he, he proved that this was the same uh, with humans as, as it was with animals. When things happen in our lives, failures happen, we sometimes... Not always, but we sometimes act the same way. We act very helpless. When a bad event happens in our lives, some of us just sit back and accept our fate as though we cannot do anything about it. Now, I'll give you an example of this in in my life. And this was when I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh, when I got kicked out of a maths class. Now, I got kicked out of methods. It's called methods, which is the, the highest maths class. I got kicked out of methods and I got put into the lowest maths class. The maths class for people that really weren't good at math, really didn't care about maths and, and basically hated math. So that was the, the maths class that I got put into. If I only dropped down one level in the maths class, I may have thought to myself, oh yeah, I probably wasn't good enough to be up there, but I'll, I'll still be able to try and, and do well in this maths class. But I got actually put down to the very, very bottom. And what this did to me was it told me that I sucked at math. It didn't say, okay, we don't think you're at this level. Go down another level and see how you go. It told me that I sucked at math. And that was the moment I began to hate maths. And this is coming from, from, from a child, a, a young boy that was not bad at maths. I mean, in year seven, I was one of the best, um, one of the best maths students in our year level, and I went to a maths competition in grade six. I was at the top of the leaderboard all year round uh, for a maths game that we played. I think everyone would have played this times tables game in their maths class, and what it was was uh, uh, there were two people at the front of the class going head to head. And the teacher would read out a math problem and the first person to answer the question correctly would be the winner and the other person would have to sit down. So I was there was between me and up this other bloke, we were we were at the top of the leaderboard all, all year round. So I was actually really proud of myself for how my math skills were. But the moment I got kicked out of that math class and put down into the into the into the the, the lowest math class, I began to believe that I sucked at maths. Then the rest of my classes started to fall by the wayside as well. Now that that it wasn't, you know, the the reason that I didn't do super duper duper duper, duper well in high school was not because I got kicked out of my maths class, but I'm, these are just the small building blocks that build up our successes and our failures in our lives. So that was kind of the the beginning of my downhill, uh, my downhill um, spiral. No, I didn't really spiral downhill, but Uh, When I started to go downhill. And the rest of that is history. That is what learned helplessness looked like in my life. I'm just wondering if you can relate to this and some things that you've failed in the past. Have you felt like this has been you? Well, I've got good news for you. If this is you or this was you, I'm going to give you some, uh, some, some tools to help you fix that mindset. You see, by simply understanding how this works, will help us to overcome it. So, Martin's theory is that whatever can be learned can be unlearned, and the opposite of learned helplessness is learned optimism, which is where the book title comes from. Which is how it all comes together. Optimism is at the heart of resilience. And why is it that some people give up at the first hurdle? And some people go on uh, in the same situation to succeed and do absolutely amazing things. Even if they get knocked down, they get back up and they keep going. It all comes down to the way we explain our successes and our failures to ourselves in life. Uh, As I've said said before, uh, life is made up of many failures. And how we explain those failures to ourselves... That will influence our persistence to try again. Now there are three crucial dimensions uh, of our explanatory style. Our explanatory style is the way we explain things to ourselves. And those three those three dimensions are permanence, pervasiveness, and personalization. I'll put up some diagrams and some images on my website uh, in the show notes so that you can understand this in in in, in more depth. Uh, by looking at it uh, visually for all you visual learners out there so the first one permanence permanence is how permanent we see a situation being in our life and and there are two different ways that we can explain uh explain these events to ourselves with permanence they can either be permanent or they can be temporary now now If a bad event happens to us, a failure happens, and I'm going to use me getting kicked out of my math class as an example here. When a bad event happens to us, a a pessimist would explain the event to themselves in a permanent explanatory style, and the optimist will explain it in a temporary explanatory style. So as a permanent explanatory style, you might say something like, "Ah, I'm bad at math and I am always going to be bad at math. That's just who I am. Now a temporary explanatory style might say something like, "Ah, I'm not doing so good at maths this term, I'll try harder and hopefully next term I can prove that I'm not so bad at maths. Now when a good event happens, let's say you ace a maths exam, roles are reversed. Now the pessimist will have a temporary explanatory style and the optimist will have a permanent explanatory style. The pessimist might say something like, "Ah, I was lucky this time, I wish I was always that lucky. And the optimist might say something like, "Ah, I knew I'd do well, I always do well when I study. The next dimension is the pervasiveness, so how widespread do we think this uh, this 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 failure is or this good event is in our in our lives? So it can be either universal or it can be specific. I will use the same examples I used uh, in, in the permanence. So when a bad event happens, the pessimist will explain it in a universal way, and the optimist will sp- explain it in a specific in, in a specific way. So. That happened in a specific area of of their life. The pessimist might say something like, I hate school. I'm not good at anything. Whereas the optimist would say something like, I'm not so good at math, but you put me in front of Photoshop and I'm going to show you who's boss. And the same thing, when a good event happens, roles are reversed. So the pessimist will now say something like, I'm good at algebra, but that Pythagoras theorem... I suck at that, and you've probably seen it before, you've seen people that they might do something really good at maths, they might do something really good in life, but they find something wrong with it, and it wasn't good enough, I know I've definitely been like that in the past, in in some situations, and that's just what what the pessimist does. Now you can be, I guess, you can be, you can be pessimistic and optimistic as, uh, at the same time. Not obviously for the same situation, but you could be a, a, a serial pessimist, but in, in one area of your life, but then be a serial optimist in, in in another part of your life. It's about balance. So that's what what pessimists say to themselves, whereas uh, the optimist will say something like. Maths, yeah, mass maths is my thing. I'm so good at maths. You give me any problem, and I could do it with my eyes closed. Don't believe me? Just test me. Uh, I guess they, the uh, the optimist in that situation might come across a little bit arrogance, uh, but I guess it's all it's all the mindset. You know, that's the mindset uh, that we need to take. In every situation to take us to the next level now I'll talk about mindset uh, just after this next one of personalization I'll talk about mindset and how you can use your mindset to help you kick goals so the next one is is uh, personalization personalization is how personal this event is so is it internal or is it external so when something bad happens the pessimist will say something like I'm stupid Whereas the optimist will say something like, maths is stupid. And when a good event happens, like they ace the exam, the the pessimist will then say something like, "Uh, it was only luck. Whereas the optimist would say, I did well because I put in the effort. The pessimist in that situation isn't taking ownership of of their successes and they're and they're actually blaming their success on something else or giving the the credit to their success to something else. Now mindset, mindset is how we cultivate the optimism. This all boils down to persistence, which I've mentioned, mentioned before. Persistence and staying constant when one thing doesn't work and one thing might fail. It's about it's about getting back up and giving it another shot over and over and over again. And this is what my whole recovery has been built upon. From the moment I woke up out of my coma, uh, I had an optimistic outlook on my, my situation. Uh, I didn't see things as, as bad as they were. In fact, I never saw things. I have never seen things uh, as bad as, they, as, as bad as they were and as bad as they are. Then when I realized how bad things actually were in my recovery, I still saw it as just another step on my journey to recovery. So after every operation, um, or when I'm told I had to have another operation, every time it's just another step on my journey. When I failed French my, in, my, in my first year, which was earlier, uh, which was last year, and I, had to, I had, to, had to repeat. That I just saw as another step in my journey. Uh, in the past, I probably would have quit French because it was too hard. Now, I still I find it very, very hard, but I'm just going to keep going. and I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to keep going until I succeed. And I guess that's the, uh, that's the mindset we're going to take into everything that we do in life. Now, an optimist will overcome many more obstacles on their journey than a pessimist will, and that is because they're getting back up. The more times that you get back up, the more opportunities that you will be faced with in life. And the more opportunities that you're faced with in life, the more successful you're going to be in absolutely anything. Now, if you get knocked down over and over and over again in life and get back up with with optimism... Hope and a, a smile on that uh, that good-looking mug of yours. You're probably going to succeed in anything anything you do because you're willing to try absolutely anything that you can to succeed. All we have to be have to do is be willing to try. I guess it, it's kind of hard for me to imagine failing at something if I know I'm never going to give up at it. That's not to say that I can do absolutely anything I want in this world. That's just to say that anything I believe I can do, I'm going to give it a a go and I'm not going to give up at it. And I'll find it hard, if, if that's the case, I'll find it hard to imagine giving up and not actually being able to achieve it. If you get up after being knocked down over and over and over and over again, you will succeed in anything that you do. Whether you can or you can't, that's irrelevant. But that is the mindset that you have to take into every situation. Now, to finish off, I'm going to read one of Martin's quotes. And he says, The reason a lot of people lack an optimistic mindset is because the brain's default mechanism is to think like that of a pessimist. So what he's trying to say is that we are hardwired to be pessimists. But be aware you can't be 100% optimistic 100% of the time. You know, there are situations where you need to be a little bit pessimistic. It's all about balance. Like if you just say you're going into a maths exam uh, and you're too optimistic about it, you might not study. So you might be utterly disappointed. Uh, In business, if you are too optimistic, you might also be utterly disappointed. I guess it's all about a balance, And that is it from me. Just uh, to sum it up, just remember that an optimistic mindset, uh, that can be cultivated. Just because you're a pessimist today, doesn't mean you can't be an optimist tomorrow. If you have any comments, I would love to hear from you. As always, you can jump on my Facebook page, type in The Injured Brain, or jump on Instagram, I am at The Injured Brain, and send me a message, that's where you will find me, be nice to everyone, I'll see you next week, and do me a favour, and please pay it forward, do just one nice thing for somebody else this week, and I'll check in with you next week, take care, that's it, adios, I'm out so that's it for today if you liked what you heard hit the subscribe button so you do not miss an episode better still hit the subscribe button and leave a review see you in the next episode